scripture. Scripture is taken from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lest you think I've forgotten about Walter Brueggemann, he has a lot of books out there and I have most of them. So this poem comes from Odd to Heaven, Rooted in Earth, and it is entitled, We Are Takers. You are the giver of all good things. All good things are sent from heaven above. Rain and sun, day and night, justice and righteousness, bread to the eater and seed to the sower, peace to the old, energy to the young, joy to the babes. We are takers who take from you, day by day, daily bread, taking all we need as you supply, taking in gratitude and wonder and joy, and then taking more, taking more than we need, taking more than you give us, taking from our sisters and brothers, taking from the poor and the weak, taking because we are frightened and so greedy, taking because we are anxious and so fearful, taking because we are driven and so uncaring. Give us peace beyond our fear and so end our greed. Give us well-being beyond our anxiety and so end our fear. Give us abundance beyond our drivenness and so end our, our uncaring. T turn our taking into giving since we are in your giving image. Make us giving like you, giving gladly and not taking, giving in abundance, not taking, giving in joy, not taking, giving as he gave himself up for us all, giving, never taking. So this Sunday is one of those Sundays that it's sort of like you can pick from a whole list of different things to celebrate. This is in our church, Consecration Sunday, where we consecrate the giving of folks who have pledged to the church budget. It is also Christ the King Sunday, which oddly, the scriptures for Christ the King Sunday always have to deal with Jesus' resurrection which is like one week before Advent when we start thinking about Jesus' birth, which always makes me feel a little bit, I don't know what's going on. But it's also Thanksgiving Sunday. So if we try to wrap our heads around all of that, we end up with a massive headache. And I do know a number of pastors who try to lump all of that together and try to make sense out of multiple 
things going on. I, for one, have decided to stick with core values, which isn't even in the list, and to talk about treasure. In the passage from Matthew, it states that where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And I have found throughout my time on this planet that that's very true. If you are passionate about something, you have absolutely no trouble putting money in that spot. If you love to do something or love something really passionately, you don't mind throwing money at it. You don't mind saying, this is what gives me life. Unfortunately, for many people in our culture, those things happen to be things that come and go. I can't tell you how many people have come to sit in my office not just to talk about their own addictions, but to talk about somebody else's addictions, a child, a spouse, a sibling, and they say they can't afford to be an alcoholic. They can't afford to keep shopping. Why do they keep doing it? Why can't they just stop? Before I ever went to seminary, I ran a halfway house for recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. And we had a discussion one night sitting around the living room. It was a co-ed house, 16 people. It was quite exciting. And we had a discussion about why people drank and did drugs. And they talked about chasing their first high. And I really had to have that explained to me, that what does it mean to chase your first high? And they said to me, the first time that you get really high, no matter what the drug is, you want that feeling again, and it never comes again. So people escalate their drug use to see if they can get back to that place. Or they find out that you know, they used to get that first high with just one beer. And then they found out that it takes like 15 beers to get close to it, but you never quite meet that place. I found that depressing. And I thought, it's also very sad. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's absolutely true. How many people have more shoes than they have feet? And I, in my family, and many of my friends, we admit openly that we are what we call shoe whores. Because we get so many pairs of shoes, I would rather buy shoes than any other item of clothing. Don't know why. I've stopped somewhat. Not completely. I did just get a new pair of Burks. But the thing is, it's what I really want, I will spend money on. 
I have another minor addiction to books. And when I found out in my retirement that the library had way more books than I did, and I hadn't read all of those books, so I could go to the library, and you know what? It didn't cost me anything. But it didn't stop me from continuing to buy books that I felt I had to own. My daughter came into my, oh, she's watering plants for me, plants that I couldn't fit in my car to bring here. But she said, Ma, I was in your library and you've got way too many books. What am I supposed to do with them when you die? I said, you could read them, but you know, I know that's asking too much. But the thing is, reading is not her passion. Reading is my passion. I would rather read than watch TV anytime. But we will put money into things that are important to us. I have never been part of a congregation that I didn't support financially. And I told you the first of this whole series of sermons about how we really do support the church, I told you about my father telling me that you write those checks to the church first and everything else will be provided for. I've always lived by that and I always have looked at people who are in leadership in any church I serve and I don't need to know how much anybody gives to the church but I need to know, do they support this church with cash? And it doesn't have to be any specific amount, but I don't think people should be in leadership if they're not supporting the church financially. Because if it's important to you, you will put money in the church. Now, I know that my daughter, who has spent thousands of dollars on soccer, and I am not exaggerating one bit, she has spent thousands of dollars on soccer, because for her, that is where her passion is for her children. She was so angry, I giggled, but she was so angry when her daughter chose not to continue with club soccer. She said, I've spent lots of money on you in club soccer. And Grace said, not once did you ask me if that's what I really wanted to do. And so then she was complaining to me about it. And she said, I can't believe I spent all that money. And I said, Alice? You didn't do that for Grace, and you didn't do that for Emily. You did that for you because it was your passion. It was something you were committed to, and you were willing to spend the money. When you care about something, you're willing to support it. 
Jesus knew right from the get-go that people would support what was important to them, where their heart is, what fills you up. I worry a lot, and I know worry is like a rocking chair. You can sit in it all day long. You rock and rock and rock. At the end of the day, you haven't gone anywhere. I get it. But I do worry that we have lost about a generation and a half of children and young adults who are no longer committed to the church. But I'd be willing to bet some serious cash, and I'm not a gambling person, but I would be willing to bet that most of those people are putting money into a lot of other temporal things. They're putting money into cars and houses and things that aren't going to last anyway. I was raised in a household that took faith very seriously. And I told you about the little church house that my father gave me that I had to put my dime in after I'd earned a dollar. <laughs> but I don't have a little house that I put the money in anymore. But I do take very seriously my pledge to the church. I take very seriously what it takes to run a church. And while I didn't know this growing up, somehow I believed that pastors were sort of just plopped into a church from heaven, and then I found out that pastors come from the people sitting in the pew. Not one of us came fully grown as a pastor even those in intimidation row. <laughs> they went through that time of struggle and understanding and learned that their passion was for God. And instead of just saying, let me write a check, they said, I will give you my life, God. I will give all of me to that. Now, some of us have done better than others with retirement. My children have told me that I failed retirement seriously. This is number three. <laughs> so, when I said I was coming here, my daughter said to me, well, Ma, every time you take a job, it increases my inheritance. <laughs> I haven't broken the news to her yet, but I pretty much spent her inheritance. <laughs> because I am one of those people that plans, and I happen to know of a camp that's going to get quite a little chunk of money when I die, because that's where it's going. Neither of my children needs any more money than what they've already got. And I certainly won't need it. And I hate to break the news to you, but none of you is getting out of here alive. And so there is no way to put a U-Haul behind a hearse and take, take your money with you. It isn't happening. 
So think about where your heart is. What is important to you? Put your money where your heart is and watch it grow. In my time here, I've seen a lot of hand-wringing and worry about what's going to happen at Wesley because we don't have any young people. And I've mentioned to you, some of you a little more than others, that if you look out that door into the parking lot, you are in the middle of your mission field. And if you really are concerned about growing this church, you need to put your money where your heart is. You need to invest in this community. The church that sent me to seminary invited me back to talk to them about how to grow a Sunday school. They did not know what they were getting into. So we all sat, all 12 of them, and I sat in their parlor, and they said, well, what do we do? Because there aren't any children in this community. I said, wow. There aren't any children in this community, yet there is a school up the street. Now, I will grant you it is a small school. There's fewer than 500 kids, K-12. But if half of those kids are Catholic, which they're not, that still leaves 250 kids. And if you cut that in half because you've got 125 kids that go to other churches, you've still got 125 kids. And if you cut that in half because you've got a certain population that isn't going to go to Sunday school anyway, you've still got more than 60 kids. And I'll take 60 kids in any Sunday school, anytime, any place. 60 kids is a big Sunday school. And they all just kind of, and I said, you've got to invest in those children. Have you thought about asking the people in the community what it is the church could do for them? <gasps> We're supposed to do something? What do you mean we have to do something? We're here. All they have to do is open the door. Mm-hmm. Opening that door by yourself the first time is a supreme act of courage, my friends. I have walked into churches for the first time as a pastor and been scared out of my pants. Churches are scary places. You are scary people. You are always saying we're the friendliest church. I've never, ever walked into a church that says we're mean. We don't want anybody here. Stay away. But we go to the people we know. We talk to the people who are just like us. When somebody new comes in, well, they look okay. We'll see. We'll see if they come back. And then, 
if they come back, then maybe we'll be nice or kind. We have expectations that anybody who walks through the door knows our rituals, that they know the Lord's Prayer. They know when to stand up and sit down. I mean, I don't even know when to stand up and sit down half the time. But we can't assume that anybody that walks in the door is biblically literate, that has been in church before, that grew up in church. That's not the way it is anymore. I have four children, grandchildren, who have not been baptized. My daughter says to me, well, when they're old enough, they'll make up their own mind. And I said, and from what pool are they supposed to be getting that information so they know what it is? And said, that's my job. You know, that's for you, Grandma. You do that. Hmm. I thought I did that once. But we have a lot of work to do. And doing work takes money and energy. A lot of us don't have a whole lot of energy anymore. That would be me. So it behooves us to think, if you want the church to grow, what are you willing to pay for to see to it that that happens? Jesus said, where your heart is, there is where your treasure should be. So I say to you, where is your heart? Amen.